Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys. Hey there. Carlos. Another week? What's new? At least a couple days. <laughs> this this weekend was uh, was college application weekend. So we spent Saturday driving around the greater Toronto area to a variety of campuses to see which ones uh, were better than others. And then all day Sunday, filling out and submitting application forms. So we'll see how that works out in a few months time. Now, do your, do your um, college applications cost you money? Like, is that a... There's one fee for five applications. Okay. And do you have to go to the college? You don't, but if you want to, if you've never been to the, the campuses before and you don't know what they look like, you know, it's part of the decision-making process. Yeah. And, and these are all like state, like, like uh, federated schools, like they're all federal schools. They're state all schools. public offerings. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's very little private institutions in Canada and they tend to be vocational. Uh, good to know. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're obviously split down here. Right. Yeah. significant number of privates privates uh, as well as a bunch of public and the fact is there's not the differences are more nuanced than simple money right, right? There's, there's a there's a ton of of private schools that are less costly than public schools and there are a ton of private schools that are more costly than public schools like ivy league right? kind of expenses yeah and and it gets really nuanced when you look at um like where the private schools hold funds, right? Um, there are some Ivy League private schools that have a um, that have a rule that no one is allowed to graduate with debt. Interesting. Everyone um, exits debt free. Now they do that for in two ways. The first is um, most of the parents can afford to pay the tuition, right? Cash. And those that cannot are scholarshiped in some way, right? Both third party and through the endowment of the, the school itself. Um, and then it gets really interesting when you look at schools like um, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Yale, where they have a huge patent library um, and their endowment is in the billions. Right, they're just earning money off invention. Right, right. And, and, and while I totally understand they don't want fun finances to be a reason to not go to the school. Um, personally, I think they need to, uh, I, I think it would be better for everyone if they aimed for more of a net zero and really focused on the best students, regardless of legacy, regardless of, regardless of parental influence, regardless of kind of the politics of the application process. Is that an undergraduate program? In other words, is that, 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 uh, economic model hold true for MBAs or doctorates? I believe it is only an undergrad okay. um, rule. I don't, I don't believe it goes to the graduate school, but I think there's other ways to offset the graduate school. Okay. But I think that's where you get a lot of, um, you know, graduate school teachers. Right, that's true. Does it make a difference where do you come from and how that affect you later on when you go up in your career and how you lead or, or do something? So it's so it's interesting when we look at, I'm not gonna make this easy for you, Carlos. When yeah. we look at um, kind of the value of a 
the value of a degree. It's highly dependent upon location, more so than industry, um, and highly dependent on um, where the people at the company you're working got their degrees, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's actually a really interesting data science project that I don't think that, that everyone outside of education really wants to see, but no one inside education really wants to see, right? Um, for instance, if you want to be an attorney um, and you're looking at the top 50 law schools, um, the best thing you can do is figure out what firms you want to work for and then figure out where the partners came from because the partners will um, have a majority at one law school and then you want to aim for that law school because that's ideally where they're going to hire from and where they're going to promote from, right? Um, and the same is true of pretty much any other organization, right? Look for the people that have been there a long time in executive positions and see what schools they go to. You'll have the best luck with those, with those organizations at those schools. Um, and it's gonna vary a lot by location, right? Um, for instance, here in Colorado, they're super proud, super proud of three schools. Um, and so anywhere in Colorado, you'll, you'll likely be better off if you come from one of the three schools that they're very proud of here at, um, here in Colorado. And the same is true elsewhere, right? Like if you're in California, they're very proud of Berkeley. They're very pr proud of Polytech, right? They're very proud of Caltech. Um, Right. So the same is the same is kind of true. Right. But you're 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 always better off to to um, to look at it kind of backwards. Right. Where do I see myself going and where do the degrees apply there What's rather the, than football team centric? Is that what you're saying? Um, kind of. Right? <laughs> I mean, fandom is fandom. Right. And and we as humans really like to be fans of things. Right. And so the more you can play on fandom, the, the more successful you will be. Hmm. Got it. So how does that <laughs> with today's topic? I don't know. What is today's topic? Yeah, I don't know, Carlos. You're the one that links those two things together. <laughs> the trickle down economics of leadership. Oh. Wow. The effects of what a leader does at the top and how does his people or her people look at him and what they have to do. What do you think about that? Um, I think leaders lead, um, and it's human nature to want to want someone to follow, right? Um, and therefore, the example set by the leader will be followed by the by those that follow them. Um, and uh, we all have examples, right? If you if you think back throughout your career, especially early on in your career, you probably worked for a variety of leaders, managers, right? Some good, some bad. But what I'd like you to do is think about the bad ones for a minute, something we, none of us like to do, right? It's really easy to think about the good ones, those bring up happy thoughts, but let's think about the bad ones. And then I'd like you to extend it. What are some habits you picked up from the bad leaders that you found yourself doing because it was the example you were given and the leadership you followed? Mm -hmm. We all have it. Every single one of us have something, right? And it took some amount of time, some realization that, oh crap, this is bad. And then it took some amount of time to not do that. Right. Um, and, and I would say one big one is pace, right? Time, maybe, maybe time spent would be a better, right? The, the economics of time, I think is really kind of where the title comes from in this episode. Um, unfortunately, many of us seem, many of us in leadership seem to think time equals value when nothing can be further from the truth. Right. Right. The fact that I work 10 hours a day should not affect what anyone else does. My pace 
does not equal your pace. Right. And any connectivity between the two, it's incumbent upon you as a leader to break. I'm not measuring you on time, right? Paul, you didn't measure me on time. Carlos, I didn't measure you on time, right? Therefore, um, one of the easiest things to do as a leader is ensure that your people are not following you based on time. That there's not some exchange rate established, right? Use a terrible example. Um, there's an email that went out from one of the people who reported directly to Elon Musk at Tesla that said, hey, you're not putting in enough hours. If Elon can sleep in the office, you should be able to too. Right. And I'm paraphrasing. Right? <laughs> there is actually a source for this. I'm not, you know. There were far more F-bombs in the original email, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at this point, most of us in leadership have read it because it, it kind of got sent around. Um, but the fact is that's that's not a good culture component. That's a terrible thing to do for culture, right? right? What we want to aim for instead is I care about you as a person. Your time is important to you and your time is important to me. Therefore, I'd like to get to your value as quickly as possible. So you're not working to live, but rather, uh, so you're not living to work, but rather working to live. I'm glad you started with the think about all the bad managers you've had <laughs> and see if you're reflecting behavior now that they forced you to reflect when they were your leader. Uh, and I, the exact same example that you had, I had leaders that, that uh, were proud of their two to three hours of sleep at night. And because they're only working, sleeping two to three hours, they were, you know, in the office at six, leaving the office at seven, doing emails to midnight and then sleeping for two to three hours. And then uh, presuming that you were maintaining that same, um, that you're responding to emails as quickly, that you're in the office at the same hour at that office. And I know as an employee, I hated that, right? That was, that ill affected my family and my relationships and my wake time. And in fact, I require seven to eight hours of sleep. I don't, I can't, I can't survive on two to three hours. I'm not sure how they survived on two to three hours. And I'm not even sure it was true, <laughs> but, but, but at least that's what they said. And it's not reasonable. But in no way, shape or form is that reasonable. Now, right? and, is they smoked at least three packs of cigarettes a day. So it's hard to, <laughs> whether that affected it. Sure. Or not. And, and I think it's also like, um, I, I think it's incumbent upon us to also pay attention to modern research, mm -hmm. right? When psychologists say um, office workers really are only effective at about the six to about the six hour mark and it starts to trail off after that, asking for more hours doesn't help. Right. When research says every hour less than seven that you, that an adult sleeps a night, goes into effectively a negative account that at some point has to be made up. Right. We should encourage at least seven hours of sleep a night. Right. And anyone that says they're only getting two to three hours is effectively saying, um, I don't care about my health. I don't actually care about the company because those hours, I'm not, I'm not, not only not getting those back, right. I'm continuing to create a deficit account. Right. That's continuing to lower my, my, um, you know, my, my potential output. Right. And what they're saying is I'm only using the worst form of measurement to measure value. Right. Yeah, it's true. And and what I find, at least in the conversations I have with 
you know, executives now, leaders now, is that um, sometimes they haven't transitioned from being a worker to a leader, right? Whereas I worked for this leader for a decade, and this is the habit to which I had to form, and now I'm used to it. So now as a leader, I'm continuing that habit and therefore guaranteeing that the people work for me hate me as much as I hated my leader. There, there is a transition that needs to occur from taking orders as the worker to providing orders as the leader. Um, and it's not an obvious switch, um, but you have to recognize that it's happening. And I'm less sure at what level that makes the most sense. Is that right at first line manager? Is that at middle management? Is that at senior executive? I don't know. Or is it as soon as you lead one person? It's as soon as you lead one person, right? Leadership can't be passive. It has to be active, which means you have to actively consider what you do, why you do it, and the impression it leaves on those you lead. You may not have anybody directly reporting to you, and yet you're still a leader. Right. Leaders set the pace. Therefore, what does the pace say about your leadership style? And is that a culture that you want to create and that you want to reinforce? Right. I was going to go that way because it looks that not only with the people that you or directly report to you, but how about the people that you interact that are in other departments? Mm -hmm. If you're answering an email at 12 o'clock midnight and you're expecting an answer or it sounds like that, you actually come out as a word that we cannot say on the podcast. Right. So assuming you make that <laughs> from worker to manager, you immediately have to change your habits, right? If, if for the last 10 years you've been working at, you know, 70 hours a week, and now you're now leading a team, uh, you should now change your habit almost immediately. Because as soon as they see you work 70, everybody who works for you will expect that 70 is expected. Even if you don't actually say the words, they will mirror your behavior just not that, because that's how you're, you're acting. And I'm not saying you have to work less than 70. What I'm saying is you have to make it explicitly clear that is in fact not your expectation. Yeah. You may still want to work 70 because right. it's your habit now. Who knows? <laughs> but so, you need to be very, very clear to everybody who works for you that that is in fact not my expectation as a leader, nor is it the expectation of the company. Unless you're a management consultant and you're an associate. My pace is not your pace, nor do I want my pace to ever become your pace. Right. Um, I would say the number one job of a leader is to set expectations. Yeah. In everything, in every way. Set an expectation that says, my expectation is, and I have done this before, you are not to work more than 45 hours in any week without my written approval. Right. Not less, more. Right. Right. Most of us are salaried, right? Most of IT is salaried. It's been that way for decades. You are not to work more than 45 hours without my express written approval. And I don't care how far away we are. Your director cannot give you that approval. Only I can give you that approval. Right. Right. My pace is not your pace, nor do I expect it to ever be. Right. My pace is my pace because I'm dumb. I want you to be smarter than I am, right? Oh, I, However, I made bad decisions. <laughs> Correct. I created a habit that works for me, 
Right. It's the lifestyle I want to have or the lifestyle I have that I haven't been able to change, to change whichever you prefer, but I don't ever want anyone else to have that. Right. Right. Um, I worked for, I worked for a, a very good um, boss at one point, supervisor at one point. Um, and he sent an email on his schedule. And I think he was actually out of the country. Um, and I got it at like one o'clock in the morning. I was brand new to the job and I replied to said email at one o'clock in the morning. Right. And he said, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Just because I sent an email at one o'clock in the morning does not mean I expect a response. And I said, well, I've always been on call. And he said, I can think of no case where your position would have an emergency requiring you to ever have an on-call attitude. Right. It can always wait a day. That's right. There is no That's such thing as a CTO emergency. Right. Right. <laughs> Never happened. I don't know who you are. No such thing. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I had a, a, a different boss um, and my annual review comes, comes around and I'm not a morning person, right? I was a night owl. I worked generally from about 10 in the morning to about 10 at night. Yeah. Right? That's just generally what I did. Um, I didn't do it all from the office, right? I'd be in the office at 10 and I would work until whenever. And all my emails were answered before coming into the office. I'm just not a not a morning person and I, I avoided the commute and, and everything else, but he was a morning person. And so my review comes around and he, he puts that dings me on my review for that. Like you come in the office late, right. like, okay, I'll try better. And I tried better for six weeks right. <laughs> and the next year review rolls around and I'm like, that's not on my review. Why is that not on my review? I did not improve. Right. Like I want to own it. If you right. forgot it, put it back on my review. It's, it's fine. I'm not meeting the expectation you set. And he said, what actually occurred to me was that was not a you issue. Right. He said, you have never not been responsive when I've needed you to be responsive regardless of time. Right. You're not a morning person. I'm a morning person. You not being in at 10 doesn't affect, you not being in at eight doesn't affect your job at all. Right. At all. Zero percent. It doesn't affect the organization, your output, nothing. Nothing I can objectively measure you against was based on you being in the office at eight. You right. never missed a meeting. Right? You never missed an email, nothing, you never missed an emergency. And at the time I, I was managing infrastructure, right? You never missed an outage. If there's an outage at four in the morning, you're dealing with the outage at four in the morning. He said, so it was a me issue, not a you issue. Therefore, I cannot grade you against it. You don't get marked down for it. Right. Um, and, and I would say that's, a, that's exactly what you want to do as a leader, right? You want to separate out the subjective from the objective, Right? Do I subjectively have a need for this because it's a me issue? Or do I objectively have a need for this because it's an objective issue? Right. An example is the difference between those two things. I wasn't working shift work. Right. If I'm working shift work and I'm always 15 minutes late, then the person who's on the shift before can't leave until they hand the keys over. That's Therefore, right. it's an objective problem. <laughs> right. Right. But outside of that, it's completely subjective. Right? If I'm paying someone as a software developer and they get, and they get, an, they're achieving all of the goals that are set, right? And they do so in four hours. It's fantastic. I hired a rock star, right? If their output equals someone else being paid for the same job for the same in the same band at the same rough compensation, fantastic. Right. I've achieved value in four hours. That sounds fantastic. So right? that's an example of the leader realizing their mistake uh, and in fact making a change now demanding something differently from you or at least evaluating you differently 
So I guess you have a choice as a leader to continue on the same path. In other words, work the same hours you wish to, but be explicitly clear that you don't have that expectation of others or change your habits and work less hours so that it's reflective to the people who work for you. Is it, is it either or? Is it both? Is it depends? I think it's both actually, right? I think even if you have the most normal expectation in the world, I think you need to be explicit about the expectation, right? right? And you need to be truthful. If, 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 if you say my expectation is that you achieve the KPIs that we've laid out, whatever those happen to be, um, and those KPIs are not shift work based, um, and yet you're making notes when someone leaves at four o'clock instead of five o'clock every day, you have lied. Sure. I'd argue you're right? not easy enough if you've, if you've recognized that that's true. <laughs> if you have time to see who in your team is leaving at 4 p.m., you're not looking at, you're not leading. Correct, correct. Um, I, so, I, so I would say in all honesty, I, from the time I've been an individual contributor to the time I've led relatively large teams, the higher in the organization, the less time I've actually worked because I've had a team to do that kind of work. I'm not saying less in the, in the grander scheme of hours. I just mean um, I focused on different things. I didn't focus on things that required output within hours. I focused on things that required output within quarters. And therefore, sure. the number of hours I put in any one task effectively was meaningless because I didn't have a, I didn't have a KPI that was due this week. I had a KPI that was measured over time. So listening to both of you, I was thinking now with all the changes that have happened, we have more of a remote worker that actually span hours or geographic locations. How then a leader should establish those critical work hours or the output that they need when their teams may need to collaborate? And they have people that may be on different places, even different countries now, that is a big option because we're all working remotely. Yep. I like that question. It's a really good question. And my answer to it is you have four hours. You can control four hours a day. That's it. You don't get to control any more than that. We all have meetings. And that's the reason the four hours exist. If we didn't have meetings, it would be zero hours. Um, but we all have meetings, right? So if we look Pacific to Eastern, right, which fits the, all three of us yep. um, and probably fits the majority of our, of, our, of our listeners. However, it works regardless of where you're at. Pick four time zones, yep. right? Okay. Eight o'clock in one time, time zone is the earliest you can start. So in our case, right, eight o'clock Pacific is really the earliest you can control. Nine Mountain, okay. 10 Standard, 11 Eastern. Yep. Flip it the other way around. The most I can control then is five Eastern, four Central, three Mountain, two Pacific. Right. Right. Restrict it to four hours, right? Go from like eight to noon Pacific. Right. Right. Go from, if you're smart, you'll go from nine to one, never <laughs> eight, never start at eight, right? Let people deal with the emails that they have and the traffic that they have and that sort of stuff, right? So figure nine to one Pacific. Yeah. Right. That doesn't push you outside of Eastern working time. It doesn't push you outside of Pacific working time. Schedule the meetings inside there. 
then that's all I have to care about. Right. Right. And then all the other work that I've assigned that needs to be done can be done in the other four hours, whatever that means to the people on whichever end of the swing it means, right? Either morning or evening, right? Before or after, depending on which side you're on. Um, it gives the employees the flexibility to manage their, their schedule of work, their schedule of tasks, right? And you have no expectation that someone Pacific is getting up at five in the morning. And you have no expectation that someone East Coast is staying up till seven or 8 p.m., till 8 p.m., right? Um, that solves the problem. And frankly, if you're struggling with that as a leader, that's a you problem. Now, asterisk, shift work is always based on where the time zone in which the shift work is scheduled. Right. And that is the risk someone takes when they take shift work out of the original time zone. If the shift work is based on Eastern Standard Time and your shift starts 8 a.m. Eastern, it does not start 8 a.m. Pacific, it starts 8 a.m. Eastern. That's the risk you take doing shift work. Outside of shift work, this rule applies. And the non-four hours, the non-meeting four hours, in my opinion, can get done whenever it makes sense for you personally. Um, and that might be all over the place. There might be teams of people Correct. that work much better from 4 a.m. on and people that work much better once the kids are in bed and they've got you know three, four hours of free personal time from that point forward. It's either Netflix or working. And if that makes sense for them, then it makes sense for the leader. It shouldn't right. make a difference to me where in fact you produce the outcome. Where, you, no. where in fact you produce that PowerPoint or achieve that financial goal. Great. And I don't care how long it takes, right? You, you might work four hours one week or one day and 15 minutes the next and seven the next and two the next. I don't care. I'm not measuring your time. I'm doing nothing to track your time because I don't care. I, I actually have work I need to do myself. I don't have time for that, right? And I don't have anybody else that I'm willing to assign because that's dumb work, right? That's not even work. It doesn't do anything for the company, right? All I'm doing is establishing some metrics to measure my employees against, yep. calling that a KPI and measuring that. Now we've been talking about time mostly throughout this entire pod so far. Um, and it, I have a side question, whether you should call these things pods or casts, but either way. <laughs> um, but there's other things that I also need to consider, other dimensions I have to consider. So uh, me as a leader, should I always take my vacations? Me as a leader, should I ensure that I always go do my training? Maybe it's a conference, maybe it's some education. Me as a leader, do I need to make sure that um, I have an open door policy or not? Me as a leader, do I have to make sure that, um, uh, that uh, I'm transparent in my communications? Like there's lots of other dimensions that I have to be much more cognizant of the difference between a worker and a leader. And that all the things I didn't like about my leader, I can't now become as the leader. So to answer that question, because I think it does need to be answered, my expectation is you will burn anything you lose at the end of the year, period, end statement, I'm going to measure it on your review. Right. Right. If you have personal days, some number of personal days, and those personal days don't carry over, you must burn them. 
If you have vacation time, my expectation is you take half. It's healthy. I want you to be healthy. You take right. half. I totally understand people who don't like vacation. There are some people who do not like it. There are some people who really, really like to bank it, right? I've worked at companies where you bank it right. um, and they pay out us over a certain number of hours a year. They pay out in the following April and they like getting that extra check. Right. I'm okay with that. I really am. Like, I'm okay with that, but I want you to talk to me. Right. right? If you don't genuinely like that, and I'm still going to encourage that you take time, right? Then I want to know. We, we, I want to talk about it. Right. Why are you not taking any time? Because I want you to be healthy. And we do a poor job in the U.S. of giving people time. Right Now, if you work in an organization where there is no time, you have unlimited vacation. It yeah. is your job as a leader to ensure everyone takes a minimum number of days a year and blocks of time in a year. I need everyone to take one consecutive week, one whole week off once a year. And I need you to speckle at least another week in a year, right? I don't care. Tag it on to something, right? Take two days instead of one for 4th of July, right? Four day Have some Do four day long weekends at least once a, once, once a month. Once a quarter, right? Take a four day weekend once a quarter, right? Whether you attach that to some other holiday or whether you make your own four day weekend right? There are going to be scheduling challenges. That doesn't mean you let everybody take four days off at Christmas and you have no support during Christmas. That's not what that means, right? The way I handled it was Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's are right around the same kind of brick. They're important to different people, right? You cannot take both Thanksgiving and Christmas off, right? but I'll let you pick one or the other. And if you didn't pick this time, you pick next year, right? Right. That's kind of how I worked it. Yeah. And, right? and the distinct difference of what you're saying is uh, people who don't want to take it, you're enforcing them to take it. I guess I'm considering the problem where uh, you didn't take it because you're claiming you're too busy to take it as the leader. You don't ever. You can't let but that. But I don't want it the other way. Yeah. Correct. You, you, you have to follow whatever policy you set for your people. Right. Where it bothers me is where the leader thinks they're setting the standard and they're, they take six weeks off in a year, right? right? And the employees don't get any time off. Yeah. They right? definitely don't have six weeks. Yeah. Right. And the employees don't have six weeks. And what they see is they get no time and the, and, and the leader is always on vacation. Right. Right. Um, and we talk about vacation, right? So it's memorable that, geez, didn't he just get back from vacation? Because he was just talking about the vacation that he took, the, the two weeks that he went to Spain. Right. Also, be really cognizant of the disparity in pay and, and what that pay means between you and the people who work for you. Right. Your right? three-week APAC vacation and cruise isn't equivalent to their, you know, their camping trip. Right, right. Their, their two-day camping trip at the at the massively overbuilt campsite. Also, going to visit family doesn't necessarily equal a vacation. <laughs> Agreed. It's cool if in their mind, that's how they want to take vacations. But in your mind, keep them separate. Right. Still encourage that they take a vacation. Right. Going, to, going to visit your 82-year-old father who's ill that you get to see three times a year and that's how you burn your vacation. It's not vacation time, you don't get to unwind. They're not going to come back 
de-stressed. They're not going to come back refreshed and ready to work. They're just going to go and trade one daily anxiety for another daily anxiety. And they're going to bring all of the, carry all that baggage through. Yep. Yep. So beyond that, I also think it's true of things like uh, training and going to conferences. So if you don't, if you, if you as a leader claim you don't have enough time to do it and therefore um, none of your team will think that they should even attempt it because you know, they'll, in your eyes, they'll look bad. At least that's what they'll think, right? So that's a problem. Um, or that you uh, send an email at 10 p.m. and have an expectation that 10.05, you get a response. Again, another poor way to lead. You, you should have the expectation that they'll get back to you within a reasonable time, just not at that hour, right? right. Maybe it's by 10 a.m. the next day. <laughs> that, that's appropriate. A lot of this Good is just leader. having to be way more explicit in your communication. So not only do you have to behave different, possibly, not always, but possibly, you also have to communicate what is actually expected. And, and let's hope it's not how you're behaving. Let's hope it's something better than how you're behaving. And I would say the same is true regardless of whether you're a leader or not, right? Um, my expectation is communication occurs between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. for the recipient, right? Not for me, for the recipient. If I send an email at 10, regardless of whether I'm, I'm in the leader chain or not, whether I'm a leader, whether I'm a pace setter or not, my expectation is I will not get a response back until no earlier than 9 a.m. the following day. Right. And the reality is, unless I've marked it urgent in some way, um, there's a day or two, I like seriously, right? Um, and a response will only be forthcoming during business hours for the recipient. Right. And I find if you do that, you're actually in a really good spot. Um, we're running out of time, but I, I really want to double click on what you said. Right. Any leader that is determined that conferences are something they don't have time for is failing to grasp the significance of conferences. Right. Conferences give you a pace of your industry or a pace of your job. Right. They, they tell you the tone of the market and they deliver to you an outside perspective. Both of those things are critical to you as a leader. You must make time for conferences. Mm -hmm. You must make time for conferences. Whatever they cost you, I promise they will deliver a four, five, or six X return. That doesn't mean you don't have to be smart in picking the conference. Right. However, be smart and pick the conference always always go to the conference and have the expectation that your team also spends quality time doing that too and knowing that yeah. that's part of the job it's not vacation that's not that's not bonus material that's actually part of the job that there's a learning exercise to which you expect to be applied and communicated across the team it's so correct it's and one of the things that we did that i really liked because there's too many conferences for everybody to go to one conference and get value is when we'd go to conferences, we'd prepare a report right. and we'd deliver a report on that conference. And whether that was, we all get together in a, in a Zoom call and we deliver it using PowerPoint or whether it's an email that goes out. Right. Like you don't have to make it overly complicated for people that don't like the public speaking aspect. Mm -hmm. But the ability to say, this is the conference, this is the value to the conference. These are the three, four, five takeaways that I got that I think are really critical for our business is really important. And don't forget, this is a conference that more of us should go to or fewer of us should go to or none of us should go to or all of us should go to right right for next year 
because it'll help it'll help the planning. I think um, the Gartner CIO summit is that is that the actually symposium. what it's called? Symposium. The symposium. symposium. CIO symposium. Um, I think that the IT symposium is the most valuable conference that occurs within the technology space every single year, and you should have someone represent. If you have zero, if you have one person go, you should have five. <laughs> right. That is that is the one. It's a it's the most expensive conference that I know of. Um, however, it is also the hands down most valuable. Do you remember how many slides I presented in the report that I put together? I, I was it was a shocking number. Hundred and seventy. Yeah, shocking and, number. And that was trimmed down from the more than four hundred I captured during the event. In and in, in addition, all of the content is downloadable and usable in the future right. for reference. All right, Carlos, that was a healthy conversation. That was a very good conversation. And I think that one of the most important things for each of our listeners is what you do at the top, your people are gonna follow it. So make sure that you take your time for you so they will take their time for them, encourage it, and also make sure that you continue to grow. As we just said, whatever you do, they're gonna follow it to make sure you take time to grow, to connect, and encourage others so they can be the leaders, they could be my friends. So we'll see you on our next episode.